0: Hey everybody, new episode of the Long Tooth Podcast. I'm Mike Workanoff, the guy who hosts this thing and the voice that you're hearing right now. Uh, had been a while since I recorded new episodes, so I thought, screw it, let's not waste any more time with an intro. I have Dan Devine of The Ringer on this week. We had a pretty good and long conversation about the Knicks, RJ Barrett, the short-term plan, the long-term plan, and what we're taking away from this season so far. Uh, I asked Dan to go out on a limb and predict the playoff appearance for the Knicks to see if it happens or not. So, um, listen to all of that. I'm not going to waste any more time. Here's the pot. All right. So, uh, have Dan Devine of the ringer joining me now, Dan. Um, first of all, welcome. Thank you for doing this. I know you're a busy, busy person. And, um, the NBA season is starting up with the second half starting. We're doing this on Thursday morning. So it's like right back into it. No more free time ever again.
1: <laughs> That's right. I mean, what was there much free time? Did that happen? Did, did you feel like replete with free time over the last few days? Um, uh
0: No, I was talking to my wife the other day and I was like, you know, we're planning out our day and just who watches uh, the kid win. And, and I was like, just a reminder, you know, there's a game tonight. And she's like, but I thought there was a week off. And I was like, yeah, that went by quick, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it's there was a uh, we've had similar conversations where it's like, oh, there'll be time to catch up later in the week. It's like it's about that. Uh, <laughs> but
0: are you uh, are you one of those people who watches like the games during the day as well? Like and you can watch all the games because those people amaze me.
1: No. Yeah. I mean, there, there are people who uh, I can never claim to be somebody who's like the, you, you catch everything and you're watching, you know, every team four times a week or whatever. Uh, I try to catch as much as I can at night, every night um, or every weeknight, at least, because we you know that you got to have the family time on the weekend and stuff. But um, during the day, well, normally also it's like I, either I'm writing during the day or I'm got to be with with one of the kids. So it's like, yeah, the, 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 when you have time to, when you have daytime, it's usually for writing or for family and not yeah. a whole lot for like rewatching. So people like, you know, like Steve Jones and Nikias Duncan and, you know, uh, Mo and all those people that are like, I'm going to go back and rewatch and do film dice ups. I'm like, God bless you. I will read <laughs> them and I will consume them and I will consider them and I will not do them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like my daily Slack conversation with my editor is, hey, I'm so sorry this is late. I'll have it done soon, uh, I promise.
1: Well, you are a journalist, my friend. This is what, yeah, we're, we're constantly <laughs> pushing, pushing the boundaries of deadlines.
0: Oh, Look, I want to talk to you about um, a small team from Manhattan. They play in a building no one's really heard of, uh, but they're <laughs> scrappy. They're a playoff team this year. As of right now, they're 19-18, and 18, I think fifth in the Eastern Conference off the top of my head if I remember correctly. Um, what have you thought of the New York Knicks this season?
1: I am I, I I have to be honest like the, one of the nicest things about this job is when you think you know something for sure and you're wrong and you're wrong in like a positive direction. And I I didn't have a whole lot of hope for what the Knicks would be this season. I was I was pretty pessimistic about the fit with Tom Thibodeau like he is an, he is a win now coach inheriting a rebuilding roster that seems like everything seems to be pointing toward Develop young guys, figure out who the next keepers are. Uh, to what degree R.J. Barrett, and Mitchell Robinson, are that? Who else fits around them in that context? All that kind of stuff, and uh, the transformation defensively with this roster has been nothing short of unbelievable. Like I, it's like literally incredible in the sense of I don't know that I that I continue to believe it, but it's there every night, and and it's incredible in the context of how wonderful it is to watch them play defense. Um, I, I've been incredibly surprised, really pleasantly surprised. Um, and I think, you know, there there are the part of my brain that won't allow me to accept nice things without caveats is like, well, there's two parts of it. There's one is like, well, wouldn't it be cool if instead of drafting Obi Toppin at eight, you drafted Tyrese Halliburton at eight, and you had two guards who could <laughs> run point and defend and shoot at a high level at this age under rookie contracts for the next five years. Um, and then the other part of it is the stuff that you know you've written about i've written about a lot of us have talked about like at what point does regression come for the defense um with the shooting the shooting numbers and things like that i'm a little more bullish than some of the people who are just straight statistically oriented and saying like there's nothing to the way they defend it's just all pure luck i I don't i think the way they defend the way they close out the physicality and the quickness of that does impact shooters but um yeah I, i i don't know how you could watch what you watched with RJ, with uh uh, Julius Randall the the growth that he's shown with RJ Barrett the growth that they've shown quickly everybody and not just be like this is the most fun I've had watching the Knicks in eight years right I mean like yeah the
0: 2012-13 season when they won 54
1: yeah so and even that like I think that's what that has informed my watching of them this season too because I was in 2012-13, I was at Yahoo, and I was like, just, I think that was my first season of full-time official employment. Like I'd been freelancing for a few years, and it wasn't my full-time job yet until that season. And so there was that aspect of where it's like, okay, no, I know serious reporters and serious journalists have to put aside their fandom. You have to act like what you're seeing isn't real until you can you know, support it. And mm-hmm. even when you're watching it and you believe it's real, you can't love it. You have to be like, (laughs) I have to like respectfully appreciate it. Like I'm looking at a painting on a wall in a museum or something like that. And so I didn't enjoy that team the way that I should have, because I am a Knicks fan. Like I can't, I can't fully strip out my feelings about that. I grew up in Bay Ridge. I've lived in New York most of my life. I am a Knicks fan. It is my family's team and, you know, all the curses that come with that. So like. The part of me that felt like I had to suppress that eight years ago didn't enjoy one of the most randomly surprising and wonderful seasons in the franchise's last two decades. So like, why cost yourself that now? I, I don't see an argument for it. Um, this year, we need all the help we can get. And I can't, I literally can't believe that the Knicks are providing it. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to have happened.
0: Where where did you grow up in uh, in Bay Ridge?
1: Uh, I grew up in, uh, or if you want to do parishes, uh, um, OLA, Our Lady of Angels Parish, not not too far from the Verrazano. Um, uh, I can say it now. I mean, we don't, not, my family doesn't live there. We were around like 75th Street and Rage Boulevard. We were we were down down in the 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 row apartment buildings down there.
0: Okay. Yeah. When my family uh, immigrated to the United States, we moved to, I think uh, I'm not a church going person, but our lady of grace was the, <laughs> was the church that I played baseball and basketball in around 67th street in Ovington, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so that's cool. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've, that. fa- I've, I've had family li- like for gender for like a couple of generations, family that lived around there. So that's uh, no, not right now. Now, now I, I, I come to you live from Midwood Flatbush, but, uh, at that point that was uh, yeah, that's the ancestral homelands of most Irish Catholic cop kids, I think.
0: Okay. There we go. Look at that. We have the same homeland in a, bit, in, in a, in a sense. Uh, <laughs> the, I think the Halliburton thing you mentioned, I don't want to dive into that, but that does seem to be kind of like the big, what if, uh, maybe draft regret of this next season it may and maybe Toppin still turns out well, but I think that was kind of a questionable pick at the time. Um, it has aged worse than it was back then. And obviously like it was made under the auspices of this is the guy who might eventually replace Julius Randall. And now it's like, why the hell would you replace Julius Randall? Right. Um, it would be fun to watch this team with Tyrese Halliburton and Emmanuel quickly playing together. I think they'd fit well.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, the counter argument that that you'll get from, from folks, especially folks who don't want to countenance any questioning about the way things are going is like, well, a you have no idea what you have with Tapan yet. It's really early, and also he's not in exactly an optimal position to succeed because he is he's not going to get big minutes. He's not going to get many opportunities now. And the style of player he seems most adept at being right now is like a lob finishing role man, like a di- or a, you know a dunker spot cutter kind of guy like that. A you know a finisher in that way, and right. he's almost always going to be playing with uh, Mitch or Randall or, uh, or Noel as a four in those sorts of lineups. So it's, he has to occupy different spaces on the court and that's just not really where he's at yet. So I think it's totally fair to say like halfway into a rookie season, especially this rookie season, um, there's no reason to, to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater just yet. And the other sliding doors component of it is like, if they draft Halliburton, maybe they don't draft quickly because you don't maybe get, you're not necessarily looking for two players at that position in that spot. And that's fair. And like, I am not uh, looking to bring the receipt on manual quickly to the register and return him. Uh, very, it, it is a wonderful thing that he's, he has played as well as he has. And, and the style that he's played, I was talking with, uh, with some family members and friends about this in the first half as it became like evident that he was for real. Um, and we were trying to like rack our brains and figure out who was the last young Knicks guard who could run point defend and Hit threes, re, like for real, like actually hit threes at a high level, and we it, 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 the text threads does Lynn count? Not, re- I mean, kind of, sort of. I guess maybe uh, as a home, like a homegrown kind of guy, as opposed to like somebody that came in from another organization. You know, like a guy that they they picked and developed. Um, and so then you're going back, like it's like, well, does the first half of Iman Shumpert's season, rookie season count, <laughs> or like? uh, how, how, seriously do we take Tony Douglas in this conversation? And so the conversation, Not seriously. Like, right. But the conversation was like that. And it went back to like, somebody being like, I meet Ward. Was it Charlie Ward? And so then you're like, that frames again, if, if you are coming to this from a position of like, I need to express gratitude for the good things in my life that make me feel a little bit happier than they did, you know, earlier in the day. Um, I don't. I'm not looking to rush to 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 uh, say. Well, I would rather have had Halliburton then quickly if that was the choice. Uh, I just. I'm. I'm a little bit greedy. It would be cool to have two young guards that could do that stuff. But uh, the, the the jury is very much still out for uh, for what Obi Topping can be, and I'm optimistic that like he seems like a guy that's going to work to figure it out. And so I, I'm, you know, optimistic there too.
0: Yeah. I. I, I'm not saying to give up on him, not at all. It's just, it's been confusing to me the way that they've had him playing too. It was so much time on the perimeter when this is supposed to be kind of like a dive roll type of big guy who uses his explosive dunk over two people athleticism. Um, and instead he's on the perimeter so much. Like I looked it up the other day, he's three of 19 shooting corner threes and he's airballed twice as many shots as he's made. Like it's, it's been a befuddling rookie year for him and not just because of, you know, the little usage that he's had.
1: And I think the part of it too, is that, I mean, that is, he was sold or presented um, as arguably the most NBA ready rookie prospect, right? Where it's like, this is a guy who can come in and and do NBA things and score at uh, offensively at an NBA level now. And that very well may be true, but not in the role to which he's been relegated. And, And again, understandably relegated to it because if Julius Randall is as good as he's been, then he should be playing an awful lot of minutes. And if the, if the function of the defense is we are going to, you know, ice pick and rolls and push him down and try to funnel stuff at our rim protectors, then you need the rim protectors there. And that was sort of the rub with top and uh, in, in most draft conversations was he's a little bit, maybe like a five on offense, but has to be something else on defense. And what can he really be? And so there's, you know, there's some question about like, if you're not going to play him with like, not to, you know, pick old scabs or whatever, but if you're not going to play him <laughs> with somebody like Porzingis and you're not where it's like a stretch five who can also block shots, then it's, like, then the fit can be kind of gnarly. And so he yeah. he's wound up being put into positions that maybe are not so conducive to his success. Although I have to say now, Mike, I feel like I'm maybe making us discuss neg- too many negative things and we should veer back towards I was the about sunshine. to
0: say, like this went this went in a pretty pretty uh, tough spot to start out with, and I understand if people stopped listening already. So, um, if you're still with us, I, I do. I, I was also thinking, you know, the defense. I'm. It's. I, I think I wrote like two weeks into the season when they had like the number three defense. It's like, guys, it's probably going to get a lot worse, and it hasn't gotten worse. And I think part of it is what you've said, just in terms of the shots they give up, the how hard they close out, the physicality of playing against them. And like even if it does regress, like they're half more than halfway into the season now. If the bottom drops out a little bit, uh, the damage is limited to some degree. Uh, just how much of the season has come through, and I, you know, they they given up, they dropped from second to ninth in the league in defense without Mitchell Robinson, giving up two point eight points per game uh, per hundred possessions more. But their offense has been better the last few weeks, right? Like the Derrick Rose trade has, and I wrote it this morning. It's like, I think it's made them a playoff team. I don't know if that means seven seed or 10 seed, but I think they will be like in the play on play in tournament. Um, So they have a little more room for error. There's more slack there defensively, which is, I think, important for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, they had to like essentially pitch shutouts for the first 25 games or something like that. Right. And so now it's, there's a little more leeway with that. I think you also have to be really pleasantly surprised by what, you got what what has what you've gotten from Nerlens Noel in the first half like he's always been so, I mean I I was I was ecstatic when they signed Noel because as the kind of the kind of writer I am and the kind of watcher I am where I'm like I want these disruptive guys who can just who can make things harder all over the place and also protect the rim and he is it, 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 the motion and the, the, the ability to get hands in passing lanes and just make stuff harder you like. He's not a, an overwhelming physical presence, but I feel like you feel him whenever he's on the court because he's just, he's constantly trying to get in your way. And like, that is a very basic way to, like, to describe defense, but it's important, right? Like he's not, yeah. he, he's trying to make it harder for you to make passes, get where you want to go, take shots, you know, like get the angle that you want on things. And so do you want him to be playing 35 minutes a game? No. Is it frustrating when he, you know, the amount of passes that he drops and that, you know, can't handle in the paint? yeah, but being able to have, you know, when everyone's healthy, 48 minutes of rim protection like that with guys who can move and, and, and present that sort of impediment all over the, the half court is, is, is a a really like wonderful change from what the last, most of the last 15 or so years of Knicks defenses have been. And so like, I, yeah, I'm with you where I say, if even if it, if some of the, the, you know, and the specific things that we're talking about when we talk about the defense falling off is like the Knicks have, the, the gap between the team's expected uh, effective field goal percentage against them based on how, how often the Knicks give up shots at the rim and how often the Knicks give up three-point shots. Um, team, you'd expect teams to be shooting like way better against the Knicks than they are. And so it's like, is that going to, uh, I, I, you know, there's been many studies about how much you can really impact three point defense. And is it just that teams are, are having bad luck shooting? And is that going to sort of even out over the course of the season? And if, and when it does even out, you know, are we going to be talking about the Knicks as like a fringy top 10 defense, or as opposed to a number, the number two defense, I would say that that, if that's what happens and the Knicks wind up falling to a top 10 defense that would be like the closest cause to a ticker tape parade that there's been for a new team in the last half decade. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, I mean, you're right. Like at a certain point, you are what your record says you are and you are what the numbers say you are. And I don't know if we, maybe we haven't fully reached that point, but I'm a lot closer to believing that now than I was when we were writing about them in the beginning of the season.
0: And I think one of the important things is like coming into this year, the question was like, okay, can a Tibbs defense still work in the NBA or was that Minnesota? And I think we have uh, kind of the answer now, which was, yeah, that was Tibbs, the GM's fault, uh, more than Tibbs, the coach's fault. Which I think is good for the Knicks going forward as well.
1: Yeah, and also maybe some of the guys who were protecting the rim in Minnesota didn't really care too much about protecting the rim. And you I mean, know, just, like,
0: name names, Dad. just name names,
1: Dan. Just name names. Well, let me listen. To our, it depends. Depends. Are we going to try to get Carlandi Towns? Better not say that.
0: Um, no, I just have, blame it on uh, on uh, Minnesota, Taj Gibson, instead of Knicks Taj Taj Gibson.
1: I would, I would never be smirched to Taj Gibson's name. It's really it's silly in, in retrospect. There was a time, because I, when I worked, at, uh, I was working with a guy named Kelly Dwyer, who is a, a wonderful writer, also a big Bulls fan. And so he was like, would like rat, wax rhapsodic and love uh, the versions of Joakim Noah and Taj Gibson that were on those Bulls teams last decade. And I was just like, man, can I get one of those? You got two of those dudes and I, can I get one? And and now it's like, I made a wish on a monkey's paw. And so now like both of them happened, but they happened when it wasn't gonna be as good as you wanted it to be. Um, But I would say like another pleasant surprise, you could, I I thought basically they signed Taj Gibson for vibes, right? Like he's a Tibbs guy, you you know, people seem to like him. And he like, when he's gotten on the court, it's like, okay, that'll, it's not, it's, it's not what you want. It's not ideal. But if yeah. he's got to go, go and play five for a few minutes, he knows how to do it and he's not going to, you know, mess things up dramatically and, and, and a lot more uh, providing a lot more than I, I was, you know, sort of skeptically thinking he would. So yeah, no, no be of Taj Gibson on my account.
0: By the way, the Knicks still have Joakim Noah too. I think he's their third or fourth highest paid player. And I think he's right. actually better for them now than he was when he was playing.
1: It would be hard to be worse.
0: <laughs> um but it's been fun. This team has been a lot of fun to watch. I, I will admit that I thought it might be a bit of a struggle uh, to watch them for another 72 games. Obviously, the Julius Randall thing has been so well documented. Um, the R.J. Barrett, I think, it, improvement this year has been probably just as critical as Julius Randall. I'm not saying I don't actually maybe you can help me kind of figure this out. It's like I've been trying to uh, just in my own head logic out like what where is RJ Barrett now in his career and what does that portend for his future like last year I was I thought okay this shot is just gonna really tank his career but he's hitting like 40 percent from three for 32 games now like I don't think that's sustainable but I I think it shows that there's life there and if and if he can be a league average three-point shooter I don't know what what do you think of him and just the way he's played
1: so it's really, it's, this is funny. And, uh, and it makes me angry because you wrote about RJ Barrett very recently. I have been pitching to write about RJ Barrett and try to like, look at where he's coming from. So I, and I, I am, I think that. you'll
0: do it better. So just bring well, your uh, editors, go for it. Ex- accept the pitch.
1: That's not, not that pre- I uh, you know, that's, I don't, I don't appreciate your one downsmanship. I'm not here for it. Um, oh, but,
0: oh, get used to it.
1: <laughs> no, listen. I, I understand it. Believe me. Um, but uh, no, so, I, I, so I, I'm, I'm working on something on it now and and hopefully the, you know, be started next week to have it up for the ringer. But um, I think it's really, he's in an interesting place because all of the, it's been a roller coastery second season so far, but all of the trend lines are moving up in the areas you want them to move up. And also things that we didn't expect, like he's not an all-defensive team caliber defender, but I think he's probably, you could argue, their most versatile defender right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he spends, I think he's, uh, I was looking it up on uh B-Ball Index, uh, their defensive versatility stats. I think he spends more time at each of the four perimeter positions, like guarding guys at the one through four then like splits time more evenly than just about anybody else on the team with the exception of maybe Knox, but Knox only has only played a few comparatively a lot of fewer minutes Um, and holds up. Like if you are a guy who is defending across the positional spectrum in the minutes load he has for a top five defense, like you, you can't be that glaring a minus and, 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 you know, that matches the eye test too, with what you're seeing, like he he's competitive. He's strong. He's stout. And so like, I think that has led some people to maybe think about it. Like, all right, maybe, well, he's not going to be Zion. He's not going to be Ja, but maybe he's like, I don't know, Jimmy Butler. And I think that's like, that's the, that. that's the comp. Do you want to go there with him? I, I don't, I don't, I'm it's a little, it feels a little bit like wishing. Uh, for something. That's like a to top me.
0: 15 player in the league.
1: Yeah. I mean, if now, if that is like the 99th percentile or hundred yeah. percentile outcome for but I mean, like, and you know, you can understand it to look at it. It's like six, 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 seven wing as he fills out, maybe around two twenty five. Um, who is a guy who can handle, can get to the get to the rim, can get to the line. Is not like wildly explosively athletic, but can get where he wants to go, can hold up on defense. Now Butler was instantly a, an, an elite defender when he came into the league, and, and Barrett's not there. Um, he also got to the line more often when he came into the league, and Barrett's not there. Um, the shot, the shooting numbers, like the, 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 volume was down, but the percentages were higher when he was younger. He was also three years older though. And that's the thing I think that like, yeah. what makes what what like makes it really tough to peg back. It's like he's younger than something like 30 current rookies and he, <laughs> and he has played a full season just about now and averaged something like 17, five and three doing it and has yeah. gotten better from year one to year two. So it's like, there's part of you that's that, that is like in the, the, in the immediate thought is to let comparison be the thief of joy a little bit and be like, well, he's not Zion and he's not Ja. But he's already the second best player on a playoff team who's arguably the second, like, like the second best two-way player or the best two-way player on the team. And that's, I don't know if anybody would have thought that, was the, that would be true this time last year. So I think yeah. that the, I think there's reason to be really optimistic.
0: Yeah, and, and I like this defense last year. I thought that like he was kind of physical at times. He was handsy, and so I was like, okay, I can see you know maybe him growing into a good defender. Obviously, as you said, second uh, you know best perimeter defender on a top five, top three defense of all things. I did not foresee at his age twenty year, and, and like you like you mentioned, Jimmy Butler was like ob Toppin years old when he came into the NBA. Like. Uh, RJ Barrett is still like Kevin Knox years old. So, I mean that the age is important there. And, you know, John Hollinger did his 2019 draft redraft. And after all the like hand wringing about the RJ Barrett pick, he was still number three pick. He still thinks he's the number three prospect there. I, I, the, the thing I struggle with, and I think this is kind of like a failing of the human mind, um, is I don't know what the right comp is in my head. And so I struggle then to extrapolate what he can become, right? Like we use comps to just kind of an understanding of like, okay, this is maybe the ceiling for him. Um, just someone with Cause his game is so weird, right? He's not a great athlete in the NBA sense. Like I'm sure he would dunk all over us if we played in the park. Um, but like, we don't think yet that he's a, a very good shooter and yet he does things and he just makes it work. And so maybe that's, it's my own mental limitations than his that, that make me kind of struggle to understand what this, what he can be ultimately become.
1: And I I think that's, you're right. Like you, you're, it's just, we tend to want to put things in boxes, right. And, or like, you know, be able to put players in buckets and say, well, okay. So he is a, you know, if, if it's, he is a low usage, high efficiency, pick and roll finishing big man. It's like, okay, well, that's like Tyson Chandler. I've seen that as like Deandre Jordan. I've seen that before. I understand that player type. Um, this it's a little bit harder and it's also harder because I think the player he was touted as being going into Duke like when he was a prep, a prep prospect and uh, you know the number one player in the class and all that stuff and then like the the in that Duke run then it became very clear very quickly that Zion was different and yeah but even but even within that context like Barrett was still like the highest usage guy on that team and so the, I think the the idea of who we had him being was like He's going to be a primary wing creator. Like the like the, the the line was like, he's going to be like young Canadian James Harden. And that doesn't feel right, right? You know, we've seen that. That doesn't feel right in terms of the efficiency and the way he can set people up and all that. But the idea was that he was going to play in space as a primary ball handler. And that hasn't been true yet. And uh, another, you know, not to step two. I mean, I think you've written something so similarly about this. So I guess we're not really stepping on one another. We're just talking. Um conversations
0: like, Dan we're doing conversations
1: I know it's, a, it's part of the limitations of the human mind um we uh I think he's played something like 90 percent of his minutes with Randall this season and so it's, yeah and so there's not which I mean make a make sense in the context of roster management and rotation management from Thibodeau like you want to get your best guys on the court as often as possible especially the ones that you feel most confident in on both ends of the floor and especially when Barrett has, has been holding up as well defensively as he has been but it also means that you're not seeing any or hardly any opportunities for him to be the primary creator. Um, yeah. And e- and even when he's in those no Randall minutes, it's almost always with, um, with Peyton. And so he's still relegated, not relegated, it's a, but he's not put in a position where it's like, what if you put RJ with Mitch in three shooters and saw what happened? Um, now the roster contract context just doesn't really afford that. And also it's been working. Like, the, the, the lineups where he's playing with Randall are outscoring opponents. The limited ones where he's playing without Randall have also outscored opponents, mostly due to the defenses. But like, that could also be a tell
0: from Tibbs, too, that he, he might not think he's ready for that yet.
1: And, and frankly, he might not be, you know, I mean, it, it, it is it again, it's a, it's a pretty vanishingly small sample. But it, the idea is, we, you know, you see glimpses of it. And you, you know, I, I want to watch a little bit more just to, to kind of go back and see what you see when he when he he's not with Randall in those minutes. But I think that you still kind of there's like every once in a while you'll see all right he's around the pick and then he's sort of snaking and he does have the read he has that first read down and it'll be like oh whoa he flipped it out to the corner there and I didn't see that coming that's a read maybe he wouldn't have made last year or like wait an extra beat to give his roller a chance to get to the rim and then drop the pass off. And Oh, that was a slick interior pass from Barrett. I didn't realize he kind of had that, but those are more, you have to, you like sort of stop and go like, Oh, Whoa, as opposed to you expect that from him. And I think that's the, that's maybe where you say, you know, that might be a tell from, from Thibodeau. Like that's not where his game's at yet, or it's not at his at that level enough yet for it to be a primary part of what the Knicks do and I think that's like the growth area to me like the shot obviously has to play it has to you know the this you know after that those couple of real big lulls early in the season he's been as you said a pretty reliably high efficiency if not high volume three-point shooter the, the free throw numbers continue to, to the free throw, free, throw, uh, free throw percentage continues to go up Um, finishing inside not is not where you want it to be but like if the shot plays and he can get to his shot different ways and the floater plays and all that stuff the catch and shoot numbers go up then people got to close hard on him then he has the driving kick game but what's going to separate it I think is when he gets to run it on his own can he be an engine of offense because if that's true if he can do that then it opens up like then it opens up second unit possibilities. It, it changes the way you can create the team because then you can you, you can work for more shooting because you have another guy who can create and you maybe don't need the caretaker point guard quite so much. And so I think that it's it, it'll it'll de- determine to a large degree what his ceiling is, but it also determines kind of how the Knicks can build. Um, and so I think that's like, the, the part that I have to keep remembering with it is we, have, we haven't seen as much of that as I think you thought you would coming into the, into the pros or coming into certainly coming into him being at Duke. He's also 20, dog. Like it is really <laughs> hard to learn how to run like credibly run NBA pick and roll as like a big wing creator, scorer, facilitator that young when you are not the best at it on your team and you're not getting the opportunities to do it. So um, all that to say, you know, when you said like, I don't really know what the comp is, I think I don't know either. And I think that's what makes him maybe uh, but i'm I'm maybe more optimistic about that than i would have been last year it's like i don't know what he is but now it's like i don't know what he is and i think (laughs) that difference is a big difference and a good one for the knicks
0: yeah at least you're now intrigued into the i don't know what he is instead of like oh i don't know what he's gonna be this is not good um yeah it's gonna be interesting i think that as much as like the winning record is probably the best positive development aside from Randall. And, and I mean, I don't know what you do juice randall after th- this season, the next one, like you get into the extension questions and uh, I th- then you get into the further big picture questions about the Knicks, which I don't think anyone really knows what they're trying to do in the long term, uh, trying to read the tea leaves and all that. I think the thinking is like, okay, get a star, but like what team isn't trying to get a star? Like, where do you go from there?
1: Um, yeah. I, yeah. And I think, I think that part of it is that you like the. It, it, this is not where they were supposed to be, right? Like, because it's it's not that if they, if they had gone on the trajectory trajectory that everybody expected, where they were more competitive on their tips, but like struggling and down near the bottom of the standings and uh, likely to be more in the like, uh, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, you know, Evan Mobley kind of conversation uh, yeah. at, the, at the top of the lottery then you'd be like, all right, well, that's it, the answer is whoever get, you get in that situation, you take them and cause you need help everywhere. And then you figure it out after this coming draft. And now it's more, as you said, like, I think the, the degree to which people would be comfortable trying to extend Randall or trying to, you know, make a long-term partnership there. Cause I mean, he's 26 years old, right? Like um, the, the opportunity to let him, he, it doesn't perfectly line up with Barrett, but like, who cares, right? Like if, if, you know, if you can actually have this type of player um, be this, if if Randall really is this now, and that's the big, you know, that's the whatever $106 million question, um, then like, why not? Uh, And then you, you know, you still have the money to spend, you still have the draft capital to to use uh, one way or the other. Um, I still, uh, the part of me that still is favoring process over results is like, I still think they need to be focusing on we need wings who can shoot and defend and a point guard who can shoot. I think those are still like fundamental things that the Knicks need to be able to better evaluate uh, what those guys are, what Barrett is, what Mitchell Robinson is, what Toppin can be, um, you know, what quickly is, you know, uh, you know, when you put those guys into better context, more healthy offensive environments, Um, and, you know, better defensive frameworks where there's more guys who can stop their man and and be good helpers. I think that only helps you figure out what guys are and aren't. Um, So rather than say like, this is where they need to go and throw all their money at free agent X or put all their trade chips into, uh, you know, uh, disgruntled star Y, I still think that like slow and steady makes sense. But I, you know, you can certainly understand where they might not feel that at this point, given that they were like kind of playing with house money a little bit after this first half.
0: Maybe they were just never intent on going slow and steady. Uh, like I think with Tom Thibodeau, it's hard to do slow and steady, right? Like I think he just wants to go, uh, you know, full, full blown, uh, win now as much as he can. And, and we saw that in some reporting around what the Knicks tried to do this off season. Um, so that's what makes me wonder about this, off, this upcoming one is like, okay, now they have what might be a playoff team already. So how patient do you want to be and how quickly do you want to try to level up? And, and that'll be worth watching because the free agent class is not as good as it, everyone thought it was going to be like three months ago, right? Like people are resigning and I don't know what that means for the trade market. Um, but I, that'll be curious. I, I want so tell me what you think about this compared to the expectations for the next, as you said, coming into this year, we're like, they're going to suck. Uh, and they're going to be in the Cade Cunningham Derby. Are they closer or further away from a star now than they were coming into the year?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, the hedge is, if this is who Julius Randle is, then they kind of already have one.
0: But um, he's he's not he's not the guy who's going to be the number one option on a really good team, right? Really like, team, yeah. Like I am talking about like, you know, at the top of the draft you have guys like Cade Cunningham and and my personal favorite Jalen Suggs, who I think can be the best player on a really good team. And, and maybe, I don't know, Jalen green and Jonathan Kuming. I haven't watched those guys enough. Um, but, and then when you're talking about free agency, you're always talking about guys like, you know, Paul George, Kevin Durant, like those types of players is the end game. I think when you talk about the Knicks trying to acquire a star, someone of that caliber, obviously not those guys specifically. So like, or do you think they're closer or further away from getting a player of that caliber? I Julius ran the second best player on a, on a really good team. I believe it. I'm in like the way he's played this year.
1: I think that you're, I mean, I guess functionally you're probably closer because you need to, if you're, if you're, if the goal is to find one of those guys, who's already an established version of that, like a, an actual NBA player who is that um, which is all, I mean, it's, it's free agency is a zero sum game. So you can't say there's no high likelihood uh, way to get one of those guys. But if you're terrible forever, you're not going to get one. I mean, this is the history of Nick's free agency shopping, right? So being uh, for lack of a better term, like normal and stable and showing actual tangible signs of life as a franchise um, and being able to uh, theoretically sell a story of stability and like good governance and reasonable leadership with a long-term plan, or at least an idea for how to construct one. It's not quite the Nets built a culture and then, and seemed like made themselves look cool and then stars chose them, but it's at least, but it's the start of that idea. I think like, you have to show that you're not a clown show, and this is what has happened over the last oh, you know it it is halfway in one season to happening we will see and the hope is that that continues apace but um if the que- so if the, if the the idea is like you have to get zion or you have to get ja or you have to get cade or you have to get lamello or you have to get luca or whatever you know insert uh you know number one draft guy there um they are further away from that because I don't, you know, they're, they're unlikely. you know, the Dallas pick is probably not going to turn out to be the uh, unexpected windfall that you hoped it would be at the beginning of the season. That when it looked like Dallas was really struggling and their own pick is probably, it's not going to be that either in all likelihood. So it's more about like, can you show a real player, a real path? The, uh, the unfortunate thing is that the guy, and I mean, I, I'm sure you've talked about this too. I know we've talked, I've talked about it just broadly. Um, the guy, and it it's again not maybe not the number one guy on a championship team the guy I think makes all of this make sense or would make this roster make so much more sense was Fred Van Vliet and that was the guy yes. I was like I was like and I mean a it's not it's not my money it's James Dolan's money so I'm happy to spend it but I would have been like if, if there was any chance I would have been like I will make I will offer him the max and let him say no and maybe he would have said no and maybe the optics of that are not great and whatever but like when you talk about the things that that present challenges for the Knicks offense, the way the roster is constructed, um, the way that uh, the the young guys uh, str- struggle dramatically or the way that the offense tends to struggle dramatically with Peyton on the floor versus when Quickly on the floor or in other contexts, point guard who can shoot but doesn't need to dominate the ball and plays all league defense across two backcourt positions for Tom Thibodeau. Like, it is, it, it was like, it was the, the, the exact right – Type of player. So when you say Jalen Suggs, and you're like, okay, well, that's a really smart, really good lead guard who can also play off ball, who can shoot, who can defend, who can do everything. I'm like, yeah, that's the kind of guy. The problem is if you don't get him like second in the draft, you have to find him in free agency five years later. And so whether there's another you know another Van Vliet type, another guy like that as as years go on, I think that's the kind of guy I want to see because that's also what allows me to better evaluate uh, you know who, who Barrett can be, who Mitch can be and also elevates the, the raises the floor of the current team too. So um, whether that's, you know, that, no, that's not a number one guy, but that's also like, that's the guy that, you know, you, that you're a serious team when that happens. So uh, the hope is that the, the, the current regime, um, whether they never wanted to be slow and steady or not, like that they're judicious in what they are willing to spend on this offseason offered a lot of hope in that regard. I think, you know, once you didn't have an opportunity for somebody like Van Vliet, they didn't go in You know, just sign everybody willy-nilly. They kind of made they they kept things more uh, structured and reasonable, and and maintained flexibility. So we'll see. But I think you have to feel better about being able to about the pitch you're able to make now, if nothing else, than you would have been four months ago.
0: Yeah. I mean, I thought I, I, I liked the Knicks offseason and I thought they were judicious and all those things were good. And I thought my only criticism, and I wrote this then, and I think still holds up now. And, and this is an NBA term, term of art, but I thought that they should have gotten more what I call good players. Um, <laughs> like, you know, I, I get going one year contracts for everyone and Alec Burks is shooting 40% from three, but like, I thought they should have gone in harder on like Fred Van Vliet than a Gordon Hayward. Um, and I think they, I think they tried to in the end on Van Vliet, but were just there late. And maybe it was just never going to happen. Maybe he was just never going to leave Toronto slash Tampa. Um, but that I thought would have been the perfect kind of like both in terms of the ethos of the Tibbs, like way of, of life and just like skill wise, I thought that would have been great for them. And, um, it's gonna be curious. I think they'll be a lot more successful now when they go into free agency and say like, "Look, we're we're a playoff team, like, or we're just about to be a playoff team." And instead of helping us not suck, you'll help us be like maybe an Eastern Conference Finals team.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that there's if that's not true and it might not be, I mean, there, there, there are only so many real windfall, like a game changing, you know, rainmakers that word I was looking for, like kind of free agents that, you know, there, you only get so many shots at Kevin Durant or LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard or whoever, like there just aren't that many of those guys. So um, you need another way to be good. And this is if, if I think the most encouraging thing, And, you know, everything is subject to change and organ, especially in the Knicks organization, but, um, they found another way to be good. They found a way to be decent and it didn't need, it didn't require the number one pick. It didn't require the number one free agent. It didn't require, um, spending $75 million, uh, on, you know, for two years of a guy who's over the hill, It, 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 it. is a they found another way to make a team that is at least yep. respectable. And, and frankly, like I, I, I'm not, I know that's not the, the end all be all worth watching a worth, but I think watch. worth
0: watching is important uh, for, uh, for two reasons. Um, You know, I'm a, I'm a soccer fan. And so like, I, I like when franchises teams have kind of like a style of play to them and they want, like, they'll get pissed when they're like winning, but they're not winning the way they want to win. Um, And I think it's important in the NBA because like, even NBA players are kind of like NBA Twitter a little bit. They want to play for teams that are like fun. And so like, if you present them a, like a fun team to play for, I think that matters in terms of like when, when players are picking their destination, just a little bit, obviously money matters most. And I respect that. Um, And I don't know. I, I think that's part of the culture change is, you know, a reputation change, culture change is I, I think just a, a buzzword that we talk about now. But like the changing the reputation of what the Knicks is obviously important for them. I think it's probably the driving force behind all the front office moves that they made over the last year. Um, But being able to say like they're winning, they're possibly a playoff team, and they're just like interesting is is good for them. I think if they're doing it in this like completely. Um, 90s Knicks, low scoring, like uninteresting way. I don't think they'd get the same buzz. I don't think they get the same attention and people wouldn't um, notice around the league what they were doing compared to the way they're doing it now.
1: Yeah, I think that there's, I mean, it's funny, you know, funny to talk about this and be like, yeah, you want to be able to sell a fun style of basketball. And then it's like, well, how much fun is it to play offense for Tom Thibodeau? But, um, but, th- but that said, I think you first have to show it's like it's like, you know like you you telling your kid like you know like we have to work a little bit hard now so we can play later. Like you have to do your homework first before we can go have fun. You have to be serious enough to not just constantly step on rakes every time you step on the court and yeah. you know get blown out and have your shorts fall down for 5 years um, to be able to show teams that you're worth the mo- that, that, you, that you, your money is worth taking um, and then if you can do that, and then also build a structure that seems like it's uh, where the vibe is good. And also it seems like it'd be fun to be on the court and play in that team. That's that, that goes a long way. So that is a multi-step, probably multi-year process. But I think you have to be encouraged by the beginnings of actually developing a process and saying like, I mean, for the last few years, as they, they cycled through coaches and they cycled through styles and philosophies and what's going to be the offense and who's going to be the, the, the primary initiator and all that. You would watch the Knicks and be like, "What are they trying to do? Like, what is what does what do the Knicks want to be?" And, and no one were, had an answer. No one ever had an answer, and now it is, if nothing else, you're like, "Well, that is, they want to like they want to smother you defensively, and they want to try to get they're not going to bomb threes, but they want to try to get good threes, and they want to try to get you know touch the paint." So we know what they are broadly, and that's a huge start. It, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is a low bar. I will grant but it is one that you need to clear to have greater aspirations. And I think that's where we are right now.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, it's something that your colleague, Kevin Clark, uh, at the ringer coined, I think when he was writing about the Browns and how they had to spend so much in free agency and pay the, we suck tax. Um, right. I, I think when you're, when you're no longer a crappy team, you don't have to pay that tax in free agency and you don't go into cap hell. Um, I think that, you know, all of that kind of facilitates one into the other and, and that should help them too.
1: That's right. I, I also have to shout out Kevin Clark because uh, last last two off seasons ago, I was doing a feature on veterans and so like the art of sticking around in the NBA. And I talked to that DJ was a great Augustine. story. Oh, thank you very much. It's kind of you to say. I, I kind of fished for that. Um, but uh, I was talking to I was talking to DJ Augustine, and he had been on the Magic at that point. And Kevin Clark is famously the internet's only Orlando Magic fan. Yeah. And uh, so I asked Kevin. I was like, I'm talking to DJ Augustine tomorrow. Do you have any you know what anything you want me to ask him? And he said, you should ask him what it feels like to have t- torn the heart out of the eventual champion Toronto Raptors with a game one buzzer beater. And I said, I will literally ask him that. And he was like, good. And so I did. It was the first question I asked him in the interview and he laughed and made it sort of set him at ease right away. And it let set the tone for like a really good half hour interview. So shout out to Kevin Clark, uh, showing up for me as a, as a colleague and also in this conversation
0: he's like when i uh, when i was watching wandavision and i was just trying to figure out what the hell was going on and he's like you you listen to a about all the people who've actually read all the comics that can decipher it for you this this large <laughs> labyrinth of canon and you're just like all right kevin explain the magic to me how do they work
1: <laughs> yes I, I, my understanding is that there is a, a sort of a sizable hex that has covered central florida in a lot of contexts for a long time so can you explain yeah. to me what's going on there
0: And Dwight Howard playing the role of Agatha, I guess in some way. Ultimately, (laughs) Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I, I I guess the the last thing I want to touch with you is: um, is this a playoff team? Like, do you think the Knicks will make the playoffs? The play-in tournament counts, Um, and what they're nineteen eighteen. They're one of five teams with a winning record, though. Like, I feel like the entire Eastern Conference, save for the Pistons, uh, is like hovering around five hundred right now. So, you know, being a a fifth seed is also like two games out of being the 12 seed, basically. Um, But I was just wondering where you stand on that. Like, do you think this is a team that's going to make the playoffs? Will they be in the play-in tournament? Will they be the sixth seed holding off the Toronto Raptors? Like, what is the end game for this team?
1: Yeah, I, I think the only teams that I like definitively believe in more than them at this point are the top four. So Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Boston. I mean, Boston, I, I, I just let me see Boston when they get Marcus Smart back is kind of the way I felt about them for like a month. Um, and I know that like the, he's not the best player on that team, but I, I think everything clicks into place better when he's there. And that's been the big thing that's been missing for them. Um, and Miami, now that my, you know, Jimmy has been unbelievable. Butler has been yeah. fantastic for them. Uh, so I, I, I buy them as like five definitely there the Raptors, it's hard. Like I, I def, I'm a, a believer in Toronto, but it's just been such an up and down season guys in and out. And they're, they're they finally, it took them a long time to just decide we're going to play small and we're not going to worry about not having a center. Cause our centers are all bad, except for Chris Boucher, who can't, again, can't play more than 25 minutes a game if that sort of Noel thing. Um, so they're more like in the Knicks category now than I think clearly above them. And so if I can't, I don't know that I, I don't Oh, I also have no idea what the Bulls are going to do. The Bulls might be a team that sells in free at the, at the deadline. The Pacers have been, I, I love the idea of the Pacers when they get TJ Warren and Karis Levert back, but who knows when that's going to happen and how that's going to work. So like on and on down the list, I don't, there's only maybe six teams that I be, def, definitely believe in more. So then if that's true, then I think I have to say, yes, I believe that they will, if not, if nothing else be in a play in discussion because A, they've earned that with the play that they've put together so far. Even with some backsliding, I think that they're still probably within striking distance of 500 team. Um, And then also, like, I'm going to need to see, you know, this maintain for Charlotte, This uh, Atlanta, show me Atlanta, get healthy and be better, you know. And then, I I don't know, like, the Wizards had a good run at the end of the first half, but, you know, how much do you believe in that? Yeah, so... Not at all. Yeah, right. I'm not a big
0: Russell Westbrook believer, and I I think that's just.
1: Yeah, I I think that's and I think that's born there. It's born out by uh, both statistical analysis and the eye test. Although I I I think I do think there is something to the juice he plays with that has helped them over the last like few weeks. But that's again that that is that is a marginal thing as opposed to like no no they are no doubt about it. And also they're seven games under 500 now and like have a big like wait a, a leap to make so. Um, I think, yeah, I think I I would have to say, yeah, I believe that they're going to be there um, barring, you know, drastic shakeups. But, and again, like imagine, ask, imagine feeling comfortable in saying that three months ago, like in what universe and what would that have been like, yeah, no, for sure. Um, It's, it's, it's wild. And that should be uh, trapped in Amber a little bit, you know, hang on to that feeling, put it in, in your pocket and hang carry it around with you. Cause it, it, it's been a while. So uh, it, it's worth enjoying.
0: Just take this moment and kind of just like freeze frame it. And maybe, maybe, maybe you're stuck here forever for a little bit, at least, right. You don't watch the second half play out. If you're a Knicks fan, just to see, just to stay there. Or would you rather see, even if it goes, if it all goes bad, would that still be something you get to enjoy the season through? If, if it if it turns out like that
1: i mean i guess it depends on how the season go. how the season would, would sort of go badly but yeah i, I think no injuries I, nothing like that yeah but just, just like just they, just they don't just the losing well. yeah. yeah i mean i think it would i think it, I, I, to some degree still depend because if they're losing and like barrett just starts looking lost or um you know uh mitchell robinson completely falls apart or you know that you see no signs of growth from quickly and, and, and OB like uh, th- those things would be disheartening because then you'd lose both the path to being a serious franchise that can ent- uh, entice current pros. And also like, you're not the core that you develop does not uh, look as strong. So that, I think that would be a, a challenge to feel good about, but I'm also like, and this is just sort of a broader life thing um, that would not render the first half meaningless. They, like, The stories are not just about the last page of them or how you get to the ending, like what happened before matters too. And the story of the Knicks will always include what the first part of that season is. In the same way that Knicks fans always, yeah, it's bummed out about the way it ended, but like the first half of that Amari season happened and you got to feel the way you felt watching Amari Stoudemire be an MVP candidate for half a season before things changed. Like You can quibble about what the worth of that is, but it happened and you can have that. You can have this, you can have, you will always be able to have Julius Randle became an all-star. You will always be able to have, we got the steal of the draft. You will always be able to have, holy shit, There were a top three defense. Sorry, I I don't know if I'm allowed to curse.
0: Oh, Um, you can curse all the hell you want. Just go ahead. Just start dropping saying anything you want.
1: Yeah, I'm probably probably not going to start just like launching into them now. But, um, you know, like those things will always have been true. And the amount of joy you take from that is up to you. Um, but I think it's cool to have the option to be like, I unreservedly love what I just watched. And I think that there's a really a def- uh, an argument to be made for like, it's, it's one of the most enjoyable half seasons that any team had. And they're barely 500. And it's amazing. It's really amazing.
0: <laughs> I can see you smiling right now. I can like see the glee coming through the Zoom screen.
1: Well, I think it's a, I, 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 not to be sappy. I think it's important, man. Like this stuff's supposed to be fun. And like, it's really easy to get lost in the weeds and it's really easy to get trapped in the minutia of it and in trying to be the smartest guy in the room. And like the, the one nice thing, one thing I have going for me is that I know I'm not that. So like, if that's true, and if I'm not gonna like, if I say, I predict what's gonna happen for them and I'm right, okay, what do I win? You know? But if I'm able to enjoy what I'm seeing along the way and like appreciate something that I didn't expect or you know, find some some, some joy in that, that's what matters and so especially now so yeah I'm like I I don't know if I would be enjoying it this much if I wasn't a Knicks fan who had watched the last 25 years of this team but that's fine because it allows you you know like it allows you to to appreciate this stuff more if you're in the frame of mind to do it so yeah it's cool it's I'm glad it's also like a nice version of doing this over zoom like yeah you can see that I'm happy about it and I hope it comes across in my voice and I hope that Knicks fans are able to feel that too.
0: Yeah, and I think just seeing like with Nick's Twitter and talking to like a few Knicks fans, I think there's a level of satisfaction—not even excitement, just satisfaction—that has been missing.
1: Yeah, like it, it, I, there is. I can't remember even that one season. Again, we talked about that 2012-13 season you were always waiting for the other shoe to drop because it's like, well, at some point, Mike Woodson's not going to play this lineup. And then he decided not to play this lineup in the second round of the playoffs against the Pacers. And so that stunk, but, like, <laughs> but it was like, yeah. you, you were just waiting for it to change. And now it's like, I, I don't know what the change is going to be. I don't know what this all, you know, when the, the magic runs out with Randall, I don't know when things should, but like, so knowing that that could be happening, enjoy it while you have it. Cause like, it's pretty cool. It's pretty, like there has not been many instances where you could legitimately say watching the Knicks brings you joy in a long time. So this has been uh, a wonderfully pleasant surprise this first half of the season. All
0: right. Well, look, um, you got to get out of here. And I'm going to ask you uh, starting a new segment on the long twos podcast. It's called the short twos. So I'm going to ask you two really (laughs) quick questions, a little bit more efficient, uh, more analytics, friendly, one dealing with the NBA one, not okay. So just, just get ready for it. All right. First question. Who's the MVP going to be? Joel Embiid. Second question: You get to go to one restaurant for a meal. Like things are normal again. What restaurant? What are you getting on the menu? Oh,
1: um, huh? Can it be anywhere? Anywhere you want. Okay, uh, this is stupid and savvy. I also don't even really know if it's still there because I haven't lived there in a while. I'm going to uh, Carlo's, an Italian restaurant in Alston, Massachusetts, because that's where I proposed to my wife. Okay. So if, sure. if, I, if I can go anywhere right now and feel anything, it would be that. So I will go do that.
0: Okay. Shout out, Carlo's. If someone from Massachusetts is listening, send Dan some food over to Brooklyn. That's right.
1: That's right. And, and uh, I'm sorry for the way I stammered my way through my proposal in the middle of that restaurant uh, a million years ago. But uh, yes, the lasagna was good.
0: No, 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 no. Listen, listen, we don't get to apologize for stammering through proposals. All right. I, I think my friends still make fun of me for <laughs> me doing the same exact thing to my wife. So it's, it stuff happens in the heat of the moment, you know, it's okay. Thank uh, you for that, Mike. I appreciate it. <laughs> Dan, thanks for coming on the pod. I really appreciate it. Um, this was great. I can't wait to read your RJ Barrett story.
1: Uh, I can't wait to write it. So we'll see. Uh, but thank you so much for inviting me. I had a great, a uh, great time.
0: And follow Dan on Twitter. I'll, I'll link to his Twitter account. You're already probably following. Read him at the, at the Ringer. Anything you want to promote before we go?
1: Uh, no, ringer.com, uh, ringers.com slash NBA. Uh, and follow me on Twitter. A bunch of little jokes and things like that from there. So if you enjoyed this at all, which God bless you, uh, you could see more of me there.
0: Uh, everyone you did, don't lie. All right, Dan, thanks so much.